welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on one of my favorite teammates of all time, Justin Lewandowski, who now is the director of hockey operations for the company 200 by 85, which is a company that puts on all types of different tournaments and events in the youth hockey world. You may have been to one of their tournaments like the CCM selects, or you may have heard of events that they have done like the CCM 68s, which is formed the stick STX 68s. Um, but Louie grew up right outside of Chicago. Uh, I played junior hockey with him for a couple of years with the Steel before he went on to play four years at Fair State University. After that, he got right into coaching at the youth levels in the Chicago area, and that has brought him to his job here today as the director of hockey operations for 200 by 85. So awesome, awesome conversation with a great guy. But before we do get over to Louie, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Levechkio. Vex, what's going on today? Not much, Toph. I'm all hopped up on ghost protein right now. <laughs> Feeling great, ready to take on the day. You're not hop- hopped up on Mountain Dew? I'm all hopped up on Mountain Dew! <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't drink soda. But, uh, Ricky Bobby. Yeah, no, uh, excited. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know that, then just turn the podcast off now. Ashley, don't. <laughs> Spread the word. We love you guys. Um, yeah, dude, Louie's a beauty. Like, I don't know Louie as well as you do, obviously. I played against him in juniors and in college, which we talk about on the podcast. That uh, that Meathead's Ferris State team knocked my team, my Western team, out of playoffs my junior year, my last year of college, but they deserved it. Uh, but, wow, just a great speaker, and you can tell that he's very passionate about, like, trying to get youth hockey to keep going in the right direction. Uh, he had some really good thoughts and opinions and, um, yeah, I just really respected like the way that he thinks about, about youth hockey. He's, he's very passionate, passionate and intense about it. I liked it. Yeah. And he's also new BS too. Yeah. I yeah. feel like people that are part of these types of companies, a lot of times it's a lot of fluff and it's a lot of, um, because they do like their company, they have a lot of fluff. They do these, they even talked about it, elite events and things like that. Um, but he's no BS and he has an opinion and that's the way he played too. Like he was an awesome teammate. One of those guys that was always had your back. And, um, you guys gave me a little bit of crap, of crap on the, on the episode for the way that I relayed it, which was not the way that you guys were talking about, but it's okay. <laughs> um, but he was an awesome teammate and there's no BS with it, man. Like what he sees is what he's going to say. And, and, uh, he's got a great perspective and a great opinion on all things youth hockey yeah totally and and something that i liked and you know we've talked about the i don't want to say the right way and the wrong way to do things because that's an opinion that's our opinion that's my opinion but you know we've talked about people like putting on too many camps and too many tournaments and things like that but something that he said and i didn't even, we didn't even talk about it but he's like you know when we put on a body checking clinic and it's like yeah, that's a great camp to attend. Like a a camp that's working on a specified skill, a specific skill that maybe you don't have or you need to learn. Like that's a camp that totally makes sense to me, even if it's in the summer, maybe even especially if it's in the summer, because if you're in practice and there's 20 kids out there and there's only one or two coaches, it's going to be hard to really work on that specific skill and get a lot of reps at it because you're going to work on other things throughout the practice. So you're only going to have a small amount of time. But if his company's putting on a camp where it's like a body checking camp or, you know, I have no idea what the other camps they run, like maybe a D like, 
pivoting camp. I don't know what they do. Obviously, <laughs> it's not going to get that intense. Like that really makes sense to me, though. Um, if I had a kid, I'd be like, you know, this is a camp I'd want them to go to. Not one of those fluffy camps that's just a moneymaker where the kids play kickball all day. You know, <laughs> even though fun is a part of the camp, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, they provide value for sure. And uh, like along with that too, um, and we won't get into it a ton here, but we certainly get into it in depth on the podcast is him talking about the right people being on board to to provide that type of value to the people. So, you know, it's not necessarily the people that know the most about hockey, but it's the people that are the most passionate and care about the kids and can teach and communicate. And we talk about that all the time and we really get into the nitty gritty of that on the podcast. And communication is a funny thing too, because I wanted to bring this up to you. Like now that this hockey think tank announcement has come out about my taking over of a youth organization, the amount of like rumors and falsehoods that people have like <laughs> talked to me about and asked me about, it's absolutely hilarious, man. Oh my God. Do you have like the most ridiculous one? Like, is there one that's like out there that you've heard or one that's funny or, um, or what's well, going on? So actually maybe not funny, but this is one that I've heard a couple different times. So, and I think this is actually a good thing to talk about before we get over to, to Louis's conversation. So like with the hockey think tank and with a lot of stuff that we are talking about on the podcast, you know, we talk about less games, we talk about making it fun a lot and all that kind of stuff. And so some people have interpreted that as well. Well, you, it's, it's just like this fluff kind of like, <laughs> type of thing. So there's been parents that have raised questions within the organization that have been like, well, is this even going to be like a AAA organization? Is it going to be I'm I'm serious, dude. Like, I'm serious. So I I think it's important to talk about like how much we value because if they think it, then there's probably other people that might be thinking it as well. Right. right? Or maybe they just heard from people that don't have anything to do that are competing with the organization. Like that's what they heard from them. Yeah. So I think it's important to have a conversation that of how much we believe in getting people outside their comfort zone, making it hard, challenging people. You don't get better with development without that. You have to have the fun and there has to be a passion and there has to be an enjoyment with it. A hundred percent. But a hundred percent, there's got to be a, a pushing of of kids outside their limits, and there's got to be you got to make it hard and you got to make it difficult. Nothing, nothing great happens from the comfort zone. No, I, I totally agree, and we talk about this at length on the podcast all about the how time. Adversity is so for anybody to kind of twist your words, our words, our our ideas, our philosophies. It, it's going to be fluffy. It's like what? Um, no, it's going to be harder. Actually, yeah. Uh, um, I had, uh, I believe it was Tim Peel in the other day, NHL ref, um, who I train, asked me, "Who do you think has?" the puck on their stick the most in a game and how much time I believe it was peeler. And I guess Patrick Kane and I was right. Boom roasted. Um, and it was like, <laughs> it was like, you know, something, it was less than two minutes per game. It was like yeah. a minute 17 or a minute 47, something around there. And it's like, okay, like, so where are you getting most of your touches? Where are you getting all of the learning? Where are you getting all the challenge? And it's like practices. It doesn't mean you don't ever play games, but you can challenge yourself more and get better in practice where you're touching the puck for, I don't know, 10 minutes of practice instead of less than two. And that's the best player in the NHL. So it's obviously going to go way down from there. (laughs) Um, So just, yeah, like think people who are on the outside, think about it differently, not just through a tunnel. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. It's uh, you know, there has to be there has to be games. Games is a great <laughs> experience. Like, come on, like you get better in games too. Like, oh yeah. But and, and games can be challenging. But we talked about with Bob Mancini, and and we believe it. Like, games should be intentional. Yeah. You know, don't play games just for the sake of playing games. Play games for a purpose. Play games against teams. And we actually talk about this with Louis. Um, play games against teams of the same caliber as you that is going to challenge you and, and schedule games with teams that are a little bit better than you, too, to, to make it challenging for the kids. Um, don't just play 70, 80 games. And, and I would I would bet probably half those games are meaningless. Uh, totally. A oh, hundred. Like, no doubt about that. And for the parents who don't know hockey. Um, or never played and stuff like that and don't understand the energy expenditures that are required to play hockey for practice, for workouts, for games. 75 games is way too many, in my opinion, for a developmental role. Um, I think it's too many. I think they play too many games in the USHL. Actually, I think they should well, probably you, go. You talk to you talk to pro hockey guys, and they'll tell you they play too many games in the AHL. The oh, AHL is supposed There's to be a development league as well, and they're 100%. just you know they're playing three games and three nights in three different cities. Like, what is that? And at the end of the day, it's a development league to get those yep. those players up to the NHL, and they'll tell you, but they can't because they have owners and there's money involved and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But right. like they they understand it. Like even at the pro levels, they understand it. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, that just makes sense, but that's, that's where like money comes in and ticket sales. And so like, yeah, you know, that, that obviously money makes everything better or makes everything worse, I think. But, um, you know, I, I also want to go back to something you just said, talking about play against teams that, you know, challenge yourself with teams that are better than you play against teams that are going to give you really good games. So they're intense and things like that. And, I'm somebody who I'm very strongly opinionated, but if, if I overstep or if I think I'm wrong or maybe I, I miss something, I, I try and say that. And I do want to say that we bash uh, my hockey rankings a lot on this podcast. Louis brought up a great point of how he would use the my hockey rankings to help set his team's schedule. And I thought that was really, really intelligent. I thought that was really smart. And I think it's a great way to use those my hockey rankings, even if they're not always going to be right because everyone's not playing everyone and stuff. But we do bash that, that site a lot. And what he said made sense for a way to use it. I still don't like the way that people use it most of the time. <laughs> yeah. When I go to a parent, they come in the gym and I'm like, how'd your weekend go? And they go, ah, we lost to the 89th ranked team. And I'm like, I- I don't care. That doesn't mean anything to me. I was asking how the weekend go, how the team do, how'd your kid do? That's all I care about. None of that else matters to me. But what Louis said, I really hope people listen to that because I have kind of shit on my hockey rankings. That made sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's funny. The other thing that I want to talk about too. So like one of the things that some of the people, they like don't understand what the hockey think tank is. So I think it might be good to even articulated a little bit. So when you think about a think tank, what I think about is getting the best people on board to come up with ideas and challenge each other and all that kind of stuff. So when we started the hockey think tank, that's what it was. Let's get guys like Brandon Dorado and Brian Kane and yourself and Alyssa and, and Jared Wayman and Mike Garman. Let's get together and let's just, let's just like make each other better. You know, and then right. what I see with this youth organization is very, very similar where let's get the best people on board that's the number one goal, get the best people in the room, and that's, let's develop and collaborate and formulate an 
a development plan for the kids that we can go out and execute. Like that's what I see this hockey think tank thing is uh, in the youth hockey perspective. Get the best people on board. Let's come up with some awesome ideas, collaborate on things, challenge each other, and then let's have a unified and strategic structural development plan that we can go out and implement for all the kids from the youngest of kids, initiation, all the way up into 18U where you're trying to get the kids off to the next level. And so like that's what the hockey think tank is. That's what we've built this business on and this this organization was just awesome people getting together and at first it was just awesome people getting together talking hockey and then it came into a website (laughs) and then it came into a podcast and now it's a youth organization and it's a part of it and so like man and we talk about it all the time just get the best people in the room let let it let everybody have an opinion and challenge each other and and be creative and all that kind of stuff and then if you're able to actually do something that you can execute and have a plan which is what we're going to do with this organization then all the better I love it. And, uh, you know, I'm so excited for those kids that are going to be in that organization from, from now until, you know, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. I think that it's, it's going to be really big time. And I bet it's going to do so well that other organizations are going to have you come in and try and help restructure them around what you're doing. Cause I truly believe what you're doing is going to pay off big time and be very successful for, for those kids. So, uh, they're really lucky and I'm, I'm really excited for them. Well, that's the hope. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. So not just saying that cause we're cousins or cause we're business associates or because we're two hot guys talking about, you know, <laughs> stuff, but we're <laughs> one I'm hot just, guy anyway. <laughs> I'm just, uh, Hey, no negative self-talk. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm I'm really excited, and I hope people in New York are are looking forward to what you're going to be doing for their kids. It's going to be big time. Yeah, the feedback's been great. The feedback's been great, and I'm really excited about it. And uh, really excited transitioning about this conversation with Justin Lewandowski. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. But as we do every episode before uh, we head it on over, we do have some people to thank. Jeffrey, you want to thank somebody first? I would like to take this moment to thank. Gelsticks.com, title sponsor of the Hockey Think Tank podcast episode, whatever episode this is. Go to GELSTX.com, use the code Think Tank, capital letters, one word, Think Tank, and you'll get a discount on the sticks. Weighted training aid. I use them in the gym. Tofs used them. Uh, our boy Brandon Arado works with the Red Wings. He's used them. They're, they're an unbelievable training aid. You can use them on the ice, off the ice, uh, before practice, after practice, in the garage. They're going to make your shot and your hands better. I guarantee it. Wow. Is there a money back like- guarantee on that? or? <laughs> Uh, I don't think there is, but they are, they are good for life. If it ever breaks, I'll send you another one. I mean, that's you're not getting that with any other norm, any normal stick. So, yeah. um, you know, we only we only work with companies that we truly believe in, and the people that are behind them. And Gel Sticks is one of them. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and of course, thank you to everybody that's been tuning into the podcast. Um, you know, we we see the back end numbers after these episodes come out, and it's amazing how how fast this thing is starting to grow. 
grow. Um, you know, we're a year in now, a little bit past a year in, and it seems like it's getting faster and faster and faster with our outreach. And uh, that really makes us proud because we feel like we're providing a service to, uh, you know, to the hockey world. And from the feedback that we've gotten, we've really been able to educate a lot of people on development and on the paths to, to different levels of hockey and, and things like that. And again, going back to the think tank philosophy, a lot of that has to do with, you know, we've been fortunate to form some relationships with some pretty smart people and having the ability to bring those people onto this podcast makes us better every time we're on here. And we hope that they, they make you better as well. So, uh, if you can, um, please help us spread the word. And if you can shoot us a a rating or a review on your Apple podcast or your iTunes, um, or wherever you get your podcasts, that goes a long, long way with us being able to, to gain some more credibility, to get us out to as many different people as we can. Uh, and even if you can share this with your youth organizations, your presidents, share this with your parent groups. If you think it's something that can help people, this is a crazy, crazy time of year for everybody. So maybe some people can use a little bit more of the, <laughs> of the stuff that that's been talked about on the podcast. Um, but we truly, truly appreciate your, your tuning in and listening. Um, we really, really appreciate everybody that's, that's given us some feedback as well. And, uh, we're going to continue to rock this thing out and, uh, and we're just very happy to do that. So, uh, without further ado, here's a great conversation with the director of Hockey Ops for 200 by 85, Justin Lewandowski. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, all the way from the great city of Chicago, Justin Lewandowski. Louie, how are we doing today, man? We're doing great over here. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Oh, I appreciate you having on an awesome, awesome teammate back in the day and love the fact that you smoked our, our Jeffrey Lavecchio in the playoffs, uh, you know, a few years ago and you guys are both in college and I'm sure we'll get into that. But before we do get into that, let's uh, introduce you a little bit to our listeners um, and uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up and, and how you fell in love with the great game of hockey. Well, I, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago. Everybody from Illinois says they're from Chicago, but I'm, I'm from Naperville. Um, there, there's obviously a, a, a lot of Chicago, um, and there has been for a few decades. It's obviously been booming now because of the Blackhawks, but uh, I just grew up playing because my family did. My, my father got into it as he got older, around men's league times, and he got three of his four kids to jump into the sport, and I was fortunate to watch two older brothers uh, do quite well, and, and um, I just loved it. You know, you, you watch on TV, I fell in love with some of the Blackhawks and actually some of the rival Red Wings. And, um, you know, back then you were just playing. You were just playing. And, and fortunately, um, you know, there, there were opportunities that became available. And you just kept chasing it and playing with your friends and moving on to the next thing. And then someone asked you to play the next year, and, and, uh, and it worked out. Absolutely, it did. Absolutely, it did. And worked out. We got to play together for a year. Uh, actually, it might have been two. I think we played together two years in Chicago. So freaking long ago now. Um, but uh, you were an awesome teammate, one of the toughest kids I ever played with. What was your experience like playing in Chicago for the Chi-Town Steel? Yeah, well, that's interesting for kids in Chicago or, or be that anyone that plays in a city that hosts a, a junior team or a USHL team. And, and I actually have to thank you because like you said, it was two years, but you were injured um, the first year. And so the, the team called me up out of midgets. Um, so you being injured, That's I, right. I don't remember yeah, exactly okay. what it was that you did, but yeah. uh, you were injured. Somebody went back home to Alaska and they had room and needed somebody to come up. So I jumped up, uh, you know, in December 
fortunately got lucky with a, a couple bounces and had a few points and then just stuck. And then you came back and we played a full season together uh, the next year. But, but it was nice. You know, the, there are billet families around the rink so you could get away from your house a little bit. Uh, but then you can go home, do laundry, and have your parents cook for you. <laughs> so, Louie, let me ask you this. The year that you got pulled up when Topher got hurt, did you try out for junior teams that summer, the preceding summer, and not make a team? So I did not. I actually, the year um, the year before that was the first year I played uh, midget AAA. Um, so, so it wasn't even on the radar. I, I didn't even, to be honest with you, I didn't know the difference between what a junior league was and wasn't. I didn't know what the USHL was. Um, uh, until that summer we played, uh, TOEF on the select festival team yeah. together in St. Cloud. Um, uh, so I, I was hearing I was there guys, too, <laughs> you were there, I, I did, you know what I did. I, I remember that you were there too. I was uh, the score on the team, bro. I know you were actually, were you? Yeah, uh, 17. You yeah. were. Yeah, you were. You were. Oh, I love it. That, oh, yeah, I watched. I watched from the bench as your line. I think it was you, Slays, and Stasny did all yeah, the stories. Yeah, see, you do remember. Don't I do remember. Me. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. So, so I didn't even know what it was really. I started hearing while I was at that festival, people were saying, "Well, I'm going here. I'm going here." Uh, I think Zach Miskovic said, "I'm going to go and try out in Waterloo." I didn't even know what that was. Um, so I just went back to midgets to play. Um, and obviously the, the U18 level was scouted pretty heavily at that point in time. And, um, there were a couple teams in Chicago watching injuries happened and got a few phone calls. I did have a few calls before that from some North American teams that offered tenders. And I just relied on my coach at the time. And, you know, he told me what not to sign, what not to tender. Um, and then when this opportunity came about, I asked him again. He said, go for it, which, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot for a coach to say, yeah, go, go ahead, leave the team. Um, and it all worked out. <clears throat> all worked out. You need to give that coach a shout out right now because that doesn't happen very often. I feel like most coaches try to hold their kids back as much as possible. So give, give that, he needs a shout out right now. Who was it? Uh, it was Darren McCluskey. He's still coaching. No way. Really? No, oh, yeah. 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 He was uh, a big reason why I and, and a number of my teammates at that point in time even played triple A hockey. You know, he, he recruited us out of tier two and uh, gave us a chance. And then we followed him over to a different tier one club. And, and when this opportunity came about, he said, you know, it's what you got to do. And, and uh, I'll be honest, when I left, the midget team started doing better anyway. <laughs> So I just want to make sure I asked that question because I wanted people to hear whether you got cut the summer before and you didn't play juniors and you had to go play 18s or you get pulled up or you didn't even know what juniors was. You were just out there. You were playing hard. You knew you wanted to keep getting better and things wound up working in your favor. Like I just I have such a hard time now. And, and like you, you've alluded to, oh, I didn't know about the USHL. Well, neither did I. And I don't think Tope did either until he made a USHL team at like 11, which was hilarious. <laughs> but um, you, you, there's, with social media and all this stuff, like I, and I'm dealing with right now, I coach a 16s team and, you know, one guy gets tendered and a guy goes to plays for the program. And then every other kid's like, well, I got to leave now. I got to leave. I got to get out of St. Louis. I got to go to a junior team. Everyone's path is different go and develop where you're going to go and develop and just keep getting better every day. You don't need to rush it and leave to play juniors in some 
ZLQHL league when maybe midgets is better for you so you can work out every day and you can play in all situations and do those things where it kind of sounds like you did when some of the guys that were your age were already playing juniors and what winds up happening you know you, you go play for the steel you rip it up you play d1 you know like it's i just wanted people to hear that yeah it's hard but you're exactly right and a big part of it is all the information and again the the uh, the age of information has its benefits all over every business, every uh, facet of life, but it also comes with uh, a little bit of blowback. People know too much. Um, parents know too much. Kids know too much, and they see things. Uh, they watch one player get drafted into this league. They watch this player get selected for the top 40 camp at the national team. They watch this player go here, and because they see it so much and they're connected online, be it, or that kid happened to be in the club they play at, they feel as though those opportunities and um, I guess getting to those points is more attainable than it actually is or easier than it actually is. And, and when the, the reality of it is they just need to keep playing and they just got to focus on what they're doing right now and not try to get ahead of themselves. Well, think about this. Everybody compares themselves. Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, you know, who, whoever, Tyler Sagan, they're in the NHL at 18, 19. So they think that that, because they're seeing that all the time, like you just said on social media and NHL.com, oh, well, I got to be in the NHL at like 19. Like, if I don't, I'm not, I'm not a success. I'm not making it. The average age of incoming Division One hockey freshman is over 20 years old. So those guys are the far outliers. Like, this is just D1. Then you've got multiple steps to make it to the NHL from D1 hockey. So, like, don't look at those guys and be like, that's who I have to be. The average age of a freshman in college for Division One is over 20 years old. I don't know if it's Normal's not 18. I don't know if it's over 20, but it's certainly between 19. Isn't it like 20.2 or something? I think it's, like, like close to 20. I don't think it's over 20, but it's... All right, so it's right at around yeah. 20. I didn't know. So whatever most, it was. It's, whatever it's it is, guys right got to go there. play a year of juniors. <laughs> after high school before yes. they go in. So yeah. Connor McDavid is not normal. Stop comparing yourself to him. Yeah. That well, could... even to that point, even to that point, I'm not positive here and I, I'll probably be fact checked by somebody and I don't mean to put my foot in my mouth, but I think the average age of the incoming freshman has gone up over the decade. Yes. Yep. I don't think it's even gone down. Yeah. hundred percent. So all of these leagues are, are in, you know, some of these leagues are getting younger and everyone thinks that it's attainable to get here by this age or this age. Nothing's changed. In reality, everything is getting harder because more and more players are playing the game. More and more kids are there. There's more athletes playing hockey. It's harder to do what these people are doing. They're just seeing it all the time. They're hearing it. They, they, they see it. They, they, you know, and, and all of a sudden in their heads, they think that this is what could happen for them. It's not the way to think. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, and the comparative, like what you were talking about earlier, the comparative, I even called it a syndrome where everybody compares each other to everybody and this guy's getting this thing, but I'm better than this person and all that kind of stuff. Like, oh my God, is that just a disease in, in youth? I'm like, you know, we didn't have that when we were growing up. It was like, you know, we were just, we would hear about the Zach Parise's of the world and then maybe see him at the national tournament or something like that. And there wasn't video on them and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, I like, I honestly couldn't imagine being a kid today. I like, I would be a completely different person. Yeah. It, uh, it would be a lot to navigate for any age. Um, 
these kids. It's hard. I mean, I remember I jumped and played a, uh, my first year AAA in Bantam. Uh, again, I had no idea what it was. I had some friends telling me my brother played for Team Illinois, the midget, and uh, some people I knew said, yeah, go try out, and ended up trying out making it. It was a horrible experience. Remember, we played against your team, uh, a CYA team, beat us 15 to nothing the first game. And I was like, who is this kid, Scott, and this player here? Well, not even on the same page. You know, yeah. so you just went back and, and, and the next year went back to tier two and just tried to get better. Just tried to play. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's all about development, man. That's, that's for sure. And speaking of like development, the one thing that I think kids need to develop a little bit more nowadays, and we have the perfect person in you on to, to go through this is like, you were like the freaking hardest person to play against ever. Like you were the, like the best teammate because you made it so hard on the other team. Like it was unreal. You were one of those guys that like everybody loved to have on your team, but everybody hated on the other team. And like, I have so much respect for you and the kind of player that you were because of that um do you think that's kind of getting phased out of the game today and like what are you, you you watch enough you're you're steeped in youth hockey is that something that you wish you saw more of i do but first vex you notice it's it's a very nice way of saying i didn't have a ton of skill no <laughs> not a Louis, chance a bro. we're the same type of player no i know no no so, a. Uh, not a sure. chance I, I do fear it i i do fear it and i it's one of um it's one of the most frustrating aspects of the game, in my opinion, right now is I tell it to people all the time. If I were growing up now, I wouldn't have made it to where I made it because I feel like that position and that player is um, not only are they not as frequent, but they're not as valued because the game is changing a lot. And the, and the way that people see it, coach it, play it, um, want it to be is a lot different than it was then. Um, in my opinion, the game's never going to change. The game is hard. The game is physical. Uh, the game is full of emotion. And, and I'm just afraid a lot of the teams, a lot of the levels right now are lacking that. They're lacking emotion. And that's, well, that's the part of the game that, that you need. I totally agree. And I'll tell you what, like what I think is I think hockey's hockey's very cyclical and I think it's a short cycle. So like everyone says, Oh, the NHL blues, they won, they won the Stanley cup last year. Well, what did they do? All right, let's copy that. Then the next year, someone else wins. What did they do? Let's copy that. So like maybe a really skilled team wins one year. So everybody's like, we got to get more skill. That's what wins. But then the next year it's a team that has more, you know, heart and soul type Lewandowski uh, players like myself. Uh, so then now teams base them around there. So I think hockey, hockey is pretty cyclical at the upper levels, but I totally see what you're saying. But what's crazy to me is I coached an 18s team last year, AAA. I coach a 16s team, AAA this year. The players that are scouted the most on those two teams in the last two years are the heart and soul type of guys. And the scouts are like, the kid just never stops going. Other kids now focus so much on the skill part of the game and care less about like giving an all out effort that these guys who are players like you and me that have the motor and are willing to block shots and willing to go in the corner and kind of lay it on the line. They stand out so much more now because the game at the younger levels is a little softer. So I think it's actually might be a benefit for some of those guys who really care. Obviously, you need to keep continuing working on your skill every day. Everyone needs to do that. But if you want to make a niche for yourself, I think you stand out more in today's game by being that guy who's going 100 all the time. Yeah, I, be- I believe it. I get it. I haven't had a midget team in a long time, but it's very good to hear at least that the that, uh, um, I guess makes me happy. It gives me hope moving forward. Um, uh, and you touched on it, that buzzword, right? 
skill. Everybody needs to develop their skill and then, uh, you know, be the most skilled player on the ice. Well, what, what skill? If you can't play the game, you can't play the game. A player is going to develop their stick skills. A player is going to develop their skating. A player is going to develop their shot. Uh, we're putting too much emphasis and focus on it. You know, and that, that's not to the players to blame. That, that's on, uh, I think, a lot of times what organizations and USA Hockey has been pushing kind of in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Oh, I like a hundred percent. There's, there's, there's so much more of that and so much less of like the intangible stuff that made you such a great player. Like Shafe, the, the guy that I worked for and played for at Cornell, he was unbelievable at teaching us how to recruit the fundamental, like not the fundamentals, the intangibles. So he would like legitimately love it when, and this was you to a T Lou, that he would love it when a kid would just give a little extra shove or something like that to the other team's best player. Cause he had the hockey sense and he had the awareness to know that that was the best player on that team. And he was going to do what he could to, to get that person off the game. Like, it's 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 awesome to see like when a goalie gets snowed instead of somebody going up there and being like ah you maybe you shouldn't do that no you give him a little bit of a, a shove and a nudge and say hey you freaking do that again like you're gonna mess with me and like just those little intangibles about being a like a hockey player not somebody that plays hockey but an actual hockey player that knows the game that has the hockey sense not just in terms of like you know where to be on the ice and that what we all think about in terms of hockey sense and game awareness but the hockey sense from an intangible standpoint because those kinds of players are absolutely invaluable to any team and you cannot win a championship without those kinds of players agree wholeheartedly i do and 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 a big part of that is coaches being able to communicate to the players and let them understand what it is how to control it why it's important um but again a lot of it is is innate it's just you have it or you don't have it but it needs to be encouraged in those players that do and not discouraged, not saying, you know, enough already. You know, you took too many penalties. Well, were they good penalties? I mean, if you're not in the box a lot, are you playing with any emotion? Do you care to get in there? Do you care to be physical? I, I just hope that, and I know you're taking over a club, which congratulations, by the way. Thanks. Um, I just hope that coaches um, will encourage it and do encourage it moving forward. Because I know whenever I'm watching and I'm taking a look at certain players, I see it right away. I like this kid. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like, it's his passion. That's the first thing that comes out is like how hard he's working and the passion that all three of us played with when we played. And I like, as far as being a player and having teammates and then now being a coach and and kids that I've coached, if they don't have that passion, it just, it makes my freaking blood boil now. (laughs) I'm sure it does. Let me let me ask you guys this because this is pretty relevant and it kind of goes along with saying this and it's just a question that I wanted to ask Tolf so I want to ask Louie too. Um, I don't know how much NHL hockey you guys you guys watch but did you guys see last week the Cassian and Kachuk thing? Kachuk people say turtle like somebody's starting to fight you when you're not ready you're not like prepared your turn sideways it's almost impossible to engage in that fight like it is very hard because you're gonna have to take one right down the pipe probably to grab onto the guy but uh i feel like there's two schools of thought some people are like oh kachuk's so smart he got the power play for his team and other people are like oh my god what a wimp like how how can you look at yourself in the mirror like yada yada how do you feel about that because it kind of goes into what we're talking about right now like the softness that's been creeping into the game. And I don't mean fighting, but this instance is fighting. Louie, I'll ask well, you first. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, first off, Matthew Kachuk is one of my favorite players to watch right now because <laughs> he is hockey. Honestly, he, he is hockey. My, my only take on, on the fight, I have no problem with Cassian uh, responding the way that he did. I, I have no problem with that, but I do have a problem with everybody saying Kachuk is, you know, a whip for Turtle. Why does he have to fight in that moment? As you stated, he's at a disadvantage. He's still playing the puck while somebody's got his mitts off and his helmet off, grabbing him ready to fight already. I mean, Kachuk's the guy with a resume. He will fight. He does fight. He'll fight again. Maybe challenge him again, and if he won't do it, then, then let's talk about what kind of coward he might be. But in that moment, uh, the guy plays on the edge. He plays hard. He had a nice hit, um, and he found a way to get a power play out of it. I mean, I have no problem with it. Yeah, and the team won because of that power play. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it either. I think, again, yeah. it goes back to the hockey sense, you know. Like, he'll have to answer the bell. Like, the next time they play, he'll he'll stand up, and he'll. I guarantee they'll fight. Um because he he has to do that now but at the end of the day he did like that's the hockey sense he got a power play for his team and they won and there you go (laughs) that's what i'm saying like i'm sure you guys people ask you this question too they'd be like oh he's such a baby blah blah blah. and i'm like well his team won the game so it's like that old school mentality where and we're kind of all a little bit more old school mentality as far as work ethic and stuff it's like was he being smart or was he being, you know? I think you got to look at a body of work too. Like he's stood yep. up for himself and he's fought and he'll answer the bell and he will the next time that they play. There's other players that would never do that, you know? And right. and, and if you want to get into the whole fighting thing, you, you look at Drew Doughty's quote, was it a month ago? And he talks about how fighting goes away from the game. Then all these little rats are going to be coming around and they're going to be injuring people and the game's not going to be safe and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I think there's a lot of merit to that too. So you got to look at the history of the player, and I, I don't think Chuck is is a wimp, if that's what you want to call it, by any mean. <laughs> yeah, no, right, I mean, I, I'm resume, on the same page as you guys, for sure. I just wonder, because we hadn't talked about it yet, and it's funny how older people who were watching hockey in the 80s, NHL hockey in the 80s and 90s, they're the ones who are like, I can't believe he did that. And I'm like, well, his team did win the game, and if he fights him next time, like, you know, I think that's a smart play. Game zero zero, and then he fights him next time. All right, that's fine. That's it's just interesting. Yeah, it, it, another like little piece to that too is you think about fighting or not fighting whether when you're sticking up for teammates. So like in, when you're in junior hockey, so somebody gets absolutely cheap shotted, do you go like what do you do? Do you go fight him or do you not? You know, you talked yeah. about the hockey sense type thing, and like I know Lou's going to fight the guy every freaking time. I was just gonna say I think you fight him. So yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. The answer. yeah, that's if that is you the don't fight him. But <laughs> no, we need the gold. I fought. We, I we fought a few gold. times. I fought a few times. Ice. But it's like it's just those intangible things, you know, like just just understanding and and I used to that's the one thing about college sometimes like it was tough because you come from junior hockey well when we played anyway like now it's like a 5 10 and 2 so it's like 17 minutes and penalties if you fight before it was just 5 minutes so you know somebody get cheap shotted somebody would answer the bell and then it would be done um but it's just like that that policing of the game and just that knowing the intangible oh, do you have the guts to stick up for your teammates and things like that i mean it's just those are the things you look for in players and and i think they're certainly missing from from today's game yeah i, I really hope it doesn't go away either i mean i know 
if you look at the way it's been going, they're, they're, you know, everything points to getting rid of that sort of play. Um, but you do, you ask me in my opinion, it becomes a snooze fest. I mean, I love the skill. I love it. It's, it's better than ever. The game is, is probably the best it's ever been with how good these players are. You don't have to, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You, you don't have to do it. Um, you know, by taking the physicality and emotion out of the game. I mean, a game full of skill and skating and puck handling and poking and hoping and, you know, chipping the speed and uh, no hitting, no emotion, it's a snooze fest. <laughs> very true, very true, especially at this time of year when it's just an absolute grind for everybody. Um but Lou, I wanted to, to change gears a little bit. And, uh, you know, you're working for a company 200 by 85 right now. And, and I'm sure most of the people listening have heard of that company. How did you get your start in there? And, uh, you know, once you were done playing hockey, was that something you got into or did you start coaching first? How, what led you to that job? Yeah, I, uh, as soon as I finished with Ferris, graduated in 09, I had every intention of um, jumping into uh, the coast or wherever I could land. And I was training for it. But, um, I kind of knew I was going to be getting married soon. And um, I knew I was going to uh, end up coaching in the future. So I figured why wait, uh, just get a head start on it. So I ended up going back, getting my teaching uh, teacher license uh, for the state of Illinois. Um, so I was in a school district for a little bit. At the same time, I started coaching right away. Uh, I got in with a triple A club in Illinois, um, started coaching uh, the mission, in Illinois for, I spent about seven seasons there. I think it was seven seasons. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in the middle there, I, I started working for 285. Um, uh, left there, uh, left tier one, coached in tier two for a year. Uh, had a couple different teams there. And, um, you know, we just kept growing at 285. And, um, you know, I was so passionate about what it was we were providing and what it was that we would continue to provide. I, I uh, stepped away from the fall winter coaching. Um, so I'm strictly uh, running 285 and, um, and that's that, you know, not to say that I won't start coaching another fall winter team in the future when the kids get a little bit older. Uh, but for now, um, you know, 285 is, is what it is. I've been there for, I think, seven years now. Awesome. How long have been here? Awesome, man. Well, you've done an awesome job with that company. And for the for those of the people that don't know, what is two hundred by eighty five? If you can describe the company, the hockey business is the plain and simple best way I can put it. Um, you know, I'm going to use one of those buzzwords uh, buzzwords that get people um, up in arms all the time. But we like to provide elite hockey experiences, <laughs> um, and and you know, elite in terms of the experience itself, not talking about uh, playing level, player level, whatever that may be, but uh, whatever it is that we provide, we like to make sure that, um, you know, it, it is of value and an experience that people will enjoy. So we run a, a, a you know, big part of our business is a tournament business. We do showcases, combines. We have, you know, we do run a CCM selects um, uh, development model in the spring and summer. Um, we, we spend March teaching checking and body contact. We usually have about 250 to 300 kids, um, through the month of the month of March in Illinois, um, all kinds of stuff, different camps. We, we do a lot of on ice stuff as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, how do you navigate that? Because like, I, I'm having trouble with that, even just thinking about what to do with my company, with the hockey think tank in terms of it being a business, but also being youth hockey. Like, how do you navigate the two of those to make sure that, you know, you're not like taking money from families and and all that kind of stuff, which is what some people would classify as business and youth sports. How do you navigate doing what's right for the kids with also having a business? Well, I think the best way I can put it is that, that word value. We as a company, again, we've, we've got a lot of people involved that meet um, and make sure that any event, whether it be a tournament, whether it be a, a, a team, whether, whatever it may be, uh, is this a proper experience that adds value to the hockey community? Uh, and if the answer is yes, we run with it and we do the best job we possibly can. I think when you look at it as well, uh, I mean, for any family, any player, any team, any organization, you, you don't have to do everything. You know, we like to make sure that we're providing an opportunity for everybody to do something, you know, and if your club, your team, your player thinks that two things is right, three things is right, one event is right, that's up to, uh, you know, that team organization or player family to decide. You know, but we like to make sure that the events that we are offering, if it makes sense for your player team club, that it is the best experience that we could provide. Love that. That's awesome. One of the words that you talked about uh, when you were just talking about what you guys do is providing value. And you guys provide, provide a lot of value to a lot of people in the youth hockey community. And when you talk about providing value, what does that mean to you guys? Because it's such an important thing. So people like know what they're getting into when they do business with whether it's 200 by 85, whether that's the hockey think tank, whether that's ripped conditioning in, in the St. Louis area. Um, what's the best way that you think people in the youth hockey industry can provide value to the people that they're doing business with? We do a lot of uh, different events. So I'm just going to give you two examples, right? And I can only speak for 285. I can only speak for something that I'm involved with. But for instance, let's say your club uh, or your team wants to attend a tournament, right? My recommendation was that you select the tournament that brings your team the most value. How do we do that for one of our events? Well, first, we know a tournament for a hockey team affects more than the 15 to 17 to 20 players on it, right? You've got families, you've got siblings, um, you've got to spend money on it, right? Because usually there's travel involved. So what we're going to do is first pick a destination that somebody wants to go to. So that sister and mom and whomever else, they go somewhere and they can enjoy their time too. Second, you want to do your homework and make sure that the tournament is of appropriate playing level. Right? You don't want to go somewhere and get shellacked. You don't want to go somewhere and beat every team by 10 goals. You know, We pride ourselves on making sure that every event, the teams are placed appropriately. Right? There's this great website on the Internet a lot of people know about where teams are ranked, right? and you can look right over to a column, and there's a goal rating. Right? And I think here, public service announcement for everybody, most people are reading those rankings uh, incorrectly you know, stop looking at which number ranking your team is and look at that goal value, that rating you have. Cause right there is a free service to find out which teams should your team be playing. And I think anything within a three goal differential is going to be a great competitive match, right? It could go either way. 
So we make sure to, to line up and make sure that teams are playing at the right competitive level, right? Then we throw in some additional add-ons. We like to give skills demo experiences at some of our events, celebrity appearances. Uh, you know, sometimes we do opening nights, um, just things to offer the family. So their experience is more than just going for the player and playing in a tournament, right? Now, another event that we were at, let's say, for instance, on ice, how do you add value? For me, I make sure that the right people are on the ice. Right. I've got a lot of coaches and a big network of people that you could throw on the ice for, let's say, a holiday camp that I'm running or a, a, a body contact camp. Just making sure the right people are on the ice that I think provide youths and kids with value. Right. And that may not look like a resume of previous NHL experience or playing D1 or whatnot. It's the right individuals that know how to interact with youth and get them excited about being on the ice, get them excited about learning what they're trying to teach them. How important is that? Because that's something that I've been talking a lot lately about coaching and stuff, because I'm not going to be coaching anymore next year, at least for next season, just with my, my company kind of blowing up and stuff. But like, it really depends on the age level. And like you said, like with the youth, it's, it's having fun. It's being excited as well as good information. Like just, and just because like, look at Wayne Gretzky. Like, I don't know. I'm no one to chirp Wayne Gretzky, but like all you hear is all right, greatest player of all time. Couldn't coach in the NHL. Like, it doesn't really matter what you've done or what you know, if you can't get that information across to whatever your target audience is, then you can't be out there on the ice cause you're not helping them. So how do you, how do you decide? Like what, what do you look for? Oh, I think you just got to get to know them. Right. I, it, which is hard because you got to hire somebody, you got to put them in place and sometimes they fail. Sometimes they do a good job, but you're right. It's, it's, it's not an easy thing to teach or coach a group of 10, 11, 12 year olds. It's not meant for everybody. Right. You can't just throw somebody out there that knows how to skate and play it at a high level and assume they'll be a good coach. Right. I think a lot of organizations, a lot of directors, um, you know, a lot of teams, they're, they're failing to value. And again, here's that word, the, the right uh, factors that make somebody a good coach. Right. It's about interacting with kids. It's about who knows how to uh, bring something out of them. Right. One of the best coaches I know in the state of Illinois has no playing experience past high school. None whatsoever. He'd be the first guy if I had an organization I would hire. The first one. Yeah, that's I that's so right, man. Like the interaction and the communication and, and the ability to be able to teach and communicate what you like you can you can know as much as you can or you can know everything about hockey, but if you can't communicate it in the right way and you don't know how to manage people, what like you're not really good for anything. And that's why like Jeff and I talk about it on this podcast all the time. You know, everybody wants they talk about coaching education. They wanna watch video and get little nuances in the games and systems and skills and all that kind of stuff, which is yeah, I mean that's important. But at the same time, you should be educating yourself on how to communicate. You should be educating yourself on how to motivate. You should be educating yourself on um, the ability to bring out the best in people and watch other coaches and see how they interact with the kids and the families and, and all that kind of stuff because coaching is not just X's and O's. Coaching is, is about so much more than that and it's all about people and Jeff and I talk about that all the time, man. So like to hear you say that, you're just echoing everything that we believe in on this podcast. Well, 
also, I think a lot of people talk a big game. Like they, 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 they say <laughs> these are the individuals that they want to have around. They say these are the type of coaches that their organization supports and, and, and is going to have on the ice for their kids, but they don't really follow through or, or really care for it, right? I think a lot of coaches which are following after their directors, following after their organizational philosophy across this country, they forget what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Too many of our teams, too many of our organizations and coaches are, are asking themselves, I guess, or or I'm watching them ask, what can this player do for me, my team? What can this kid bring my team? How can he help my Wee, my Bantam team win? And if he can't or if he's not providing what I desire from him, I'm going to write him off in December and I'm going to start looking for the next kid that I'm going to replace him with come May, June, whenever the tryouts are. Right. It's ass backwards. They, it, it, it's families and, and players are supposed to be asking the organization, what are you providing me? Right. There's just kind of a lack of investment from a lot of youth organizations right now, in my opinion, in the players. Right. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be growing young men. Right. Teaching them how men and women. Right. Teaching them how to interact, teaching them. Uh, how to be good teammates, teaching them about character. And it's very, very, very much forgotten uh, in a lot of organizations right now across yeah. the country. Yeah, and I think a huge piece of that too is just like it's not a development culture anymore, even at the younger levels. It's a, it's a recruiting culture. And I think what people fail to realize is a lot of times – like. I forget who it was used to say it all the time. Typically the team that wins is who has the best people coming off the bus or the best players coming off the bus from a talent set from a talent standpoint. And so these youth coaches, especially with the, my hockey rankings website and the fact that we can see everything on the internet and you know, all these egos are, are so big, like it's become a recruiting culture and we forget about the development and the coaching side of it. And you're seeing that at, at mites and, and the squirt level, which is absolutely crazy. So like, do you see that in, Chicago a lot because what I see all around the country and a lot of the feedback that I get from hockey directors and parents and coaches alike is that like it's not even about uh, the coaching anymore it's about how can we get the best players on our team Um, you even see like dads who will pay for you know half the team to be able to play on the team and there's no cost and stuff like that it's just do you see that too it's all over the place, right? I'm not even going to speak for just one state because I know a lot of people that coach yeah. in many different states, right? It's, it's, it's all over the place. Um, it starts so young, too. It really does. And, and, and I go back to people misreading those rankings things. And I'll tell you what will be a big change, and, and I don't know how exactly it happens, but if the at-large bids for USA Nationals were somehow taken off the table, right, and you had to win to get in, regardless what district you're coming from, they would mean nothing. Right, because you have to win your state, you have to win your region to get yourself into that tournament. Right now, there's that large bid. You got to get yourself up in the rankings. But if it was gone, again, we could start reading those things appropriately and using them. And again, it's a fantastic site and a great tool. Right, but all it should be used for is okay. Where does my kid's team or my organization's team? Who should we be playing against when we go and find a tournament or find someone to play against? Where are the teams that are within three, four goals? That should be it. Not how do we get our team to get into the top 10? That's worse. 
That's so, so that's so true, man. This this podcast certainly is not sponsored by my hockey rankings for that. <laughs> not for at that all. Exact- I, no, 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 no. I love I love them. I'm telling you, it's a great site. We get to pair the right teams <laughs> up against one another. For Everybody that, should be on there. For that, for that. Everybody purpose. should be on there. Everybody should be looking at it because it can help your team. It can help your team properly and appropriately schedule your your season for that purpose. But I feel but like it's what, not being used for that purpose. Yeah, dude. Like every time I go into a rink, and you probably deal with this too. Like every time I go into a rink and I ask like a, a parent, "Hey, how's your kid's team doing?" And like the first thing they tell me is where they're ranked. And it's like, oh, we lost the six-ranked team out of the Northeast <laughs> Southwest Division. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't. That doesn't matter. Like when you're talking about it from a scheduling perspective, which I actually think is why that site was made. I actually did a bunch of research on it, and and I feel like I I read somewhere or somebody told me that the guy that actually made the website he writes um like a primer every year every couple years where he talks about like what the site should be used for and he hates how like it's been bastardized to this thing that you know everybody it's like an ego thing for everybody now especially like the youth parents and stuff so i think that was good information for everybody to hear because we we have talked about my hockey rankings on this podcast i can probably count fifty three thousand times um and just talking about like the what it should be used for what you were talking about lou yeah I, I just people need to start reading it appropriately they, they give themselves much less of a heartache <laughs> i mean you know well we can't play that team because they're ranked 37 and we're ranked 16 yeah well if you look at the rating of it you'll see that you're supposed to play to about a one goal differential which is just about perfect yeah Okay, that makes sense for everybody out that there. That's awesome for all the parents out there. Yeah, please, thanks. please, yeah. There you go. Uh, oh man. Um, so, what about Chicago? Like, you're you're steeped in Chicago right now. How how is everything going in there? Because like people that I talk to, like it's just it's it seems like it's kind of a gong show. Like, what what's going on in Chicago? What's the benefits of playing AAA in Chicago, and what do you think needs to change out there? Well, uh, again, I'm a big, I, I am a big proponent for AAA hockey. It's necessary, and I yep. don't think anybody can disagree, right? You need to have the best players playing against the best players. When is the time for your player, your son, your daughter to go and play AAA? That's different. We, we've already hit on that a little bit, right? Um, my big thing is this comes in the form of a lack of parent education, I think, in every single organization that I've got any foot in at any time. Um, they just need to be educated a little bit more on what the process looks like because, and I know this isn't strictly in Illinois. I'm sure it happens across the country. I know many, many uh, call it eight year olds that have played or skated in four or five different organizations by the time they're eight years old, nine years old might be their fifth, you know, because, the mites across the state have gone away from USA hockey and they started AAU. So, you know, they think in terms of party of one, my kid doesn't like this coach. We're going to go to the next organization, second year mites. Well, I'm going to get recruited away from there for my first choice, first year squirt. Uh, they didn't put him on the right team because my kid's better than that. So we're going to go use our second choice and squirt. For, and it's four clubs before they're, before they're nine, 10 years old. Right. And I, I, I think we're discounting, the effect that that could have on a kid. Kids understand and pick up on things, right? Um, where are they going to learn to to value a jersey or value a team or value a club? Uh, they're always going to be thinking about what's next. 
right? And I feel like you see it as these kids get older. They're not investing themselves into their team. They're, they're, they really don't care for it. They, they just think it's another team, right? Whereas if, if a kid grows up playing in the same organization for six years before moving on to maybe a, a, a Bantam AAA team once they're ready, they, they really care about that organization. It's going to be hard for them to leave. First off, they've built friends, teammates. Uh, they played for a jersey, an organization for a long time. They're going to bring with them that same character, that same uh, desire to win for that club to their new club, right? But if they jump around to five places, when are they going to care about it? I just yeah. don't know. Yeah, man, that's so true. And it goes back to even what we were talking about, those intangible things that make great players great. And I'm a true believer, and I went through it in the recruiting process, and you guys can talk about it too with some of the players that you've played with. Having having people as a part of your organization that care about the thing on the front of the jersey and not necessarily the, the thing on the back, I mean, that's, that's recipe for a special, special thing. And I honestly think that's a huge reason why Cornell's number one in the country right now, and I've recruited some of those kids. And, <laughs> and no, no, I'm serious, though. Like the, like I didn't the, know they were the, the culture that they have and, and the kids that they have in that locker room. I mean, it's freaking like, it's all about Cornell and the, the captain of the team is a kid who can sign and he like, he's, but he's all about it. And when your best players are all about the thing on the front, then that's a recipe for an unbelievable season. And so it's just, it's one of those things that I totally agree with you, man. And that's something that I'm going to try and build here in Syracuse with my new organization is like, I want these people to be proud of the Jersey that they're putting on. And I want them to be proud and, and feel like they can have a place where they can be from the younger ages all the way to the older ages. And then they leave it in a better place than where they found it, you know, but in, in this recruiting culture of what youth hockey is today, it's just like, there's so many different things pulling at so many different kids that it's a challenge to be able to create that kind of a culture from a youth hockey standpoint. But I think a lot of us, and hopefully the people that are listening to this podcast will work like hell to try because those are the kinds of intangible character qualities that forget about hockey. Those are the kinds of qualities that make good human beings and make leaders, whether it's hockey, whether it's business, wherever you are, um, that that care for other people and that that willingness to to put put the team in front of your own interests at times like that's that's what being a teammate's all about that's what makes great organizations and we don't have enough of that and our our culture as a youth hockey culture doesn't promote that at all rant done i agree they, they <laughs> do not they 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 don't yeah they 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 do not i'm afraid there are individuals around that do i know you're going to you know imply it in Syracuse, which is going to be great to watch. Um, but again, like you said, great people, right? The, the pyramid is real. The percentages are real, right? Not everybody is making it all the way. They're not, right? But you can build uh, some people to be successful, you know, whatever it is they venture off to. Love it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it's that's the biggest job that we have as coaches, and and it's not even as coaches. Like we're educators, we're teachers. We're teaching these kids how to how to play hockey, but we're also teaching these kids how to be a successful part of a, of a team. We're teaching these kids how to care about things other than yourself. We're teaching these kids so many different things that go away from anything that happens in the rink. And I just like, I really, really hope that, and, and there are great people out there. Like I'm not railing against everybody. There's a lot of really good people in the youth hockey world, but you know how it goes. Sometimes the, the, the minority that has the biggest voice sometimes puts a little bit of a stain into what's going on. Um, but 
like our jobs, like there, it's so much more than hockey. And if we can teach these kids those intangible things that you had and that Jeff had, like that's like you guys are both extremely, extremely successful people once you're done with the game of hockey. And the game of hockey taught you guys that, those things. And the coaches that you had growing up taught you guys those things. And your parents taught you guys those things. And the way that our culture is now, and I'm dealing with it right now, trying to start things and trying to put things in place, like a lot of times those things don't get brought to the forefront, but they need to be at the forefront of everything that we do when it comes to what we're doing for these kids. I love that. And and I think a simple, like just a simple illustration of a thing like that, which speaks to like life after hockey, setting them up for success is holding them accountable, holding them accountable to set standards that are high. And, And a little thing like that would be like, if you're doing a drill and you're like, all right, you got to touch the blue line. Somebody doesn't touch a blue line. You stop practice. Like first time it happens beginning of the season. Like that's unacceptable. That's cheating. If you cheat right now on the ice, you're going to cheat in the game. You're going to cheat in other drills in practice. You're going to cheat on your homework. You're going to cheat on your girlfriend or your wife or your boyfriend. You're going to cheat everywhere. Once you start cheating at anything, you're going to cheat all the time. And that's like a little detail. So then every drill that just sets it up, like do it to the fullest, do it correctly, focus on the details. And when you do that on the ice, you teach them that stuff. All right. It'll also translate to their life. And like, that's what coaching in hockey needs to be about for youth hockey. Like, yes, you're, you're using hockey as a metaphor, as an illustration for the rest of their life, setting it up. And too many people are just focusing on hockey now. And you know, that goes back to Louie's point of, all right, we got kids on the ice is Wayne Gretzky the best guy to have out here on the ice with eight-year-old kids? Well, no, he probably doesn't want to deal with those kids. I don't know if he likes kids or not. He probably doesn't want to deal with them. And we need someone out there who knows how to teach kids and will focus on those kind of messages on top of the hockey skills and all that stuff, in in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Nobody, nobody touching, agrees? Touching, <laughs> touching the blue, no, I, I, I agree with you, and I, I like the analogy about touching the blue line, right? cheating because that goes in line with also I, I i have this view and opinion that coaches aren't benching kids anymore but could be out of fear of their parents and the repercussions you're going to deal with from them but you got to get it through to them that you're doing it for their kids right if they make the same mistake six times they're not listening to you they're not working hard they're not changing when they're being told to change that they, they need to sit otherwise they just keep doing it who are they going to listen to if they if, if they're not punished in in some form right Yep. And, and I'm afraid a lot of coaches aren't doing that. They're watching kids not touch the blue line and just say, ah, he's going to help me win. I, I totally right? agree. Maybe he's it's, a good goal scorer. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's really funny. You said that right before we got on this podcast, um, uh, a coach that I'm a strength coach for their team, the 04 AAA blues, the head coach, Anthony Capaletti just sent a text from a guy named John Beck. And, and the text says players, no matter how good things are, adversity is certainty. Failure is inevitable, but it's where all the lessons are. Losing, lack of playing time, injury, poor performance, stay strong, lean on each other, never stop working. Successful people fail more than they succeed. It's like literally exactly what you're talking about right there. By you not benching a player, and obviously not like all the time, but for the right reasons, no, like not you're all actually the time. hurting their development. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's yeah. true. I think we, we, we just too, too often are trying to avoid the adversity at all costs. Right. And I don't think you need to seek it out, but you need to face it and you need to, 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 to bring it about when it's appropriate. Right. We, we can't just avoid it. And even for the best players, 
like some of the players that I've worked with over the last eight years, nine years in the gym are the best players in the city and they kill it. They've had no adversity and you, me, Tof, everybody who's ever gone to juniors pretty much knows juniors is a different animal. It becomes a business. Like the pyramid starts to get real thin very quickly when you get to juniors and, and they're going to go there and they're going to hit adversity. So if they've never hit adversity yet, it's going to be hard for them when they, inevitably hit adversity in juniors. So maybe for those best players, we need to find a way coaches to not just like let them get away with things. Maybe you do need to seek out a way to find some way to put a roadblock in front of them every now and then so they can learn how to bust through it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. John Wooden, the greatest coach of all time in any sport. He always like, I read a ton of his books and his big saying is my best friend is the bench. You know, because if you're not going to do things to the standards that we set, then you're just you're not going to play. And I think I do, Lou. I think that's been lost a little bit because there's a little bit too much of an emphasis on on like, oh, we can't do that for the goal scorer because the goal scorer needs to to help us score some goals. Well, at the end of the day, the goal scorer is going to help you score a lot more goals if he's accountable and if he's doing the right things and if he's you know doing all the things that you're asking him to do as well. And then once he does hit adversity, now he actually knows what it's like to be sat and he knows how to get through it. He's been trained and he's been practiced on how to how to do it and one of the books that I read I can't even remember but they call it constructive tension like they call constructive tension in every practice where you're you're putting kids in opportunities where they're going to have to fail and then I actually I was talking about my with my wife about this the other day and in teaching there's actually a, a movement going around where the teachers especially at the really really young ages they make mistakes on purpose and then the way that they act when they make mistakes, like it's a huge teaching tool for the kids. So they'll be doing something like, let's say they have the Play-Doh or something out and they like drop the Play-Doh. And, you know, if you're a kid, you can be like, oh, crap, whatever, just get all mad. But the player, but the, uh, the teacher will drop the Play-Doh and be like, oh, that was a mistake. I'll do it better the next time. It's okay. You know, type stuff. So just that, that, yeah, that, yeah. that teaching of the adversity, the constructive tension that you're putting in, you have to do that as an educator and as a coach, because like you said, Jeff, in that tweet or that text, like it's inevitable, it's going to happen. Lou, like, it's funny you say that, like the injury, I tore my ACL, that was the injury. And I look back at that now when I was in juniors and it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And the reason why it was, is because I had an unbelievable support system around me, including you guys as teammates, um, but my family and all that kind of stuff that didn't let me act like a, like a pouty wimp and feel sorry for myself. They were like, Hey, you're going to get through this, stay positive through it. And you're going to be better for it. And, and I think I was, and, and I look back at that now and that, that constructive tension, if that's what you want to call it, that I had with that injury. I mean, it's, it's made me stronger and tougher and more mentally tough. And, and I think if everybody goes into those types of situations and we as coaches and educators can teach people to, to handle those situations, oh my God, like we're going to be able to create some amazing, amazing people and hockey players to go along with it. For sure. Put that with how, how skilled these kids are. If we, you know, start yeah. getting the message across at an earlier age. And Toph, you know, something you said there too, that I think we should focus on also, because I think that this is, you know, again, like the squeaky wheel gets the most oil or whatever the hell that saying is. <laughs> Wait, um, hold on. What? <laughs> yeah, you heard that? Like, uh, no. the, the person making the most noise is going to be the one that gets the most attention. Okay. Like, so like what, what I'm saying is I don't, I'm going to say that I see this a lot. 
um, but it's in my small sample size. I don't know if this is a huge problem, but it goes along with what we're saying. You said, and my support staff and my family, like they, they helped me. They coached me through the adversity. Adversity is a great thing. It's not an old wooden ship. It is a great <laughs> thing. So parents, uh, when your kids hit adversity, don't start pointing fingers at the coach at the, the GM, at whoever's around, at, oh, well, you're better than Johnny. Why is Johnny on the power play? No, don't do that. Even you're if enabling. it's true. Even if it's true. Even if it's true, which yeah. it probably is. Johnny's sick. Don't, <laughs> don't be that enabler. Go to your kid and say, oh, you're not on the power play? Well, well why do you think? You know, ask him questions. Then say, well, have you been working on, you know, walking up the wall? Have you been working on your vision? Are you watching power play clips on YouTube to get better? So, like, help them get through the adversity. Don't point fingers because they're going to look to you and whatever you do, they're going to do. And too many times now I'm seeing kids hit adversity. And the first thing that happens is mom and dad call the coach. Mom and dad call other players. They start chit-chatting. They start bringing the negativity in. No. Face that adversity head on, teach your child how to take on adversity and look in the mirror, not point fingers. That drives me nuts. For sure. And and you hope your coaches understand it first, right? But we keep talking about them. They keep coming up, the parents. And, and I mean this, and I think you guys talked about pillars, right? Uh, Tove, for your, your organization, as you start to build a, a plan and philosophy for, yep. for Syracuse, right? The pillars. I, I just think one of the most important things for any organization, it's parent education, right? Because this dealing with adversity, it shows its face so early, so early. I'm talking about mites and squirts. And when that parent sees little Johnny, there are so many Johnnies apparently. On the ice, <laughs> but when that parent sees Johnny get run over by a bigger player and he hits the ice and mom, dad, uncle, grandpa are losing their minds in the stands, screaming at a referee, screaming at the other players on the other team, screaming at the opposing coach. Little Johnny hears it. He feels it. Right? So now little Johnny feels sorry for himself. You aren't allowed to run me over on the ice. You did something wrong. So how are they going to deal with a player being physical or hard to play against when they're 15 years old? They're going to pout. They're going to slap. I don't know what they're going to do, but it started at mites and squirts, right? It's parent education. It's just letting them know, right? And I, I know some coaches here that do a very good job of it, right? If you're not okay with your seven-year-old being knocked down to the ice, you're, you're in the wrong sport, right? He tells his parents that all the time. You need to change quick because it's going to happen. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, if this isn't the sport for your kid, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, go play golf. Go play tennis. Go play volleyball. Like, do something else. But like, some, you don't, correct, but sometimes the parents just need to hear that, right? Oh, they need yeah, to hear no, that totally, from, the, from totally. the person that's leading their kids, right? Totally. This sport is right for your kid because he loves it and he wants to come back. But you've got to support and be okay with the adversity that he feels every game, right? He's going to get knocked over. Just tell him, oh, that was a big, strong player. Widen your legs a little bit. Bend your knees, kid. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was talking to a coach just yesterday. Actually, it, it it relates to what we're talking about right now and what he was saying. We might have even talked about this on the podcast before, Jeff, but like he was talking about watching a practice. And if the practice looks really good, it's probably not a good practice because you're not challenging the kids enough. Who was that? Was that Adam? Because I was talking about it with somebody. I was talking about that with somebody just yesterday, and uh, it's funny. Like, my God, I feel like we talk about this all the time, but I think it's good because it's such an important thing. Like, making sure that, yeah, as coaches and as parents, 
our reaction to the way that the adversity happens to our kids, like that's a big deal, huh? And that's something that I'm going to have to like, Lou, you, your kids are a little bit older than mine, but like, have you, have you found that that's something that you deal with already? Cause I think your oldest is six. You said, right? Uh, yeah, six. Yeah. So is that something that you see? Is that something like when, like when your six year old maybe, you know, falls and scrapes a knee or, you know, something happens at school or whatever, do you feel like an urge to get involved? Like, what's that like for you as a, as a parent at the, for somebody that age? No, I, I, I so, so my wife and I both kind of try to let them figure it out at first. And if it becomes more of an issue, then, then we deal with just her, right? Just, just our kid. It's, it's, uh, it's always your okay, right? You, you have to let them know they, they need to know they're okay. Right? It's about managing their own emotions and managing their own. Uh, the, the word's coming up again, right? All these little, it's all adversity. They've got to know how to assess the levels of it, right? What's easy to conquer? I am okay, right? You step in right away and you start going berserk over something and it's not that big of a deal. How are they going to deal with something that's serious? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's very true. And, well, I like how you said you step yeah. in and you and you take care of your kid because something else that I've noticed, I, I feel like I'm ragged on parents right now a lot. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to have people look at them because I don't have kids. I'm sure I can't even imagine how hard it is. That's why I don't have kids because it's crazy hard <laughs> and I'm not ready for that yet. However, like I, I, I've noticed like and you said from the young ages, it starts like I'll be talking to parents that are around the rink that are on like squirt and might and peewee teams. And they're complaining about other kids on the team to me. They're like, ah, oh, you know, that D man, Jake, he, he just, he can't make a pass on the power play. And in my head, I'm like, shut the hell up. You're talking <laughs> shit about a little kid. Just enjoy uh, being at the rink with your family, help the kids get better and have fun. Like, are you seriously talking about an eight year old who can't make a good pass and you're upset about it? Calm down. <laughs> Drives me nuts. Yeah. Well, Jeff, the thing is that I don't think anybody's telling them that that's, that's, that's the only thing I'm trying to get across yeah. is that I, I don't think coaches, directors, organizations are expressing it, This is a, it's a foreign sport to the majority of the, the families participating, right? The vast majority of these kids, their, their, their parents had no part of hockey growing up. Right. And that's okay. That's great. Right. We're introducing more people to sport. Just give them some insight right. in, into what to expect and what, what's, common to see what's not common, what you should be upset about, what, you know, when's the right time to ask questions about this, or how do you react to your player falling to the ice or getting bumped in mites or squirts? Uh, it just, it, more communication is always better, right? Don't you like the coaches that even as a player, they just communicated their message to you. You knew what they expected. Uh, I mean, yes. You, you got to feel the same for these parents. A hundred percent. I want to touch on that in one second, but I want to get back to something else you just said. It's almost like we need someone to come up with a parent guidebook. <laughs> Wink. Tove came up. Tove yeah, came Louis, up with yeah. one. I actually I have one, so I'll send it over to you, man. It's uh, so I came up That's with like a, a parent guidebook, and uh, it's the, the feedback that I've gotten from it has been really, really good. And I'm working on like a like a Bantam Midget Junior one too, just to kind of help guide people through the path of the craziness that is midget hockey, junior hockey, and stuff. Um, but it's just the basic stuff, communication chains, and what to expect at the rink, and like just all those little things. So I'll send it over to you. 
massive. That's fantastic. Yeah. You keep doing you because this is great stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's massive. But the other thing I wanted to touch on is, you know, like you, you just said, like communication. And um, I hope Tof really writes this book and I hope he writes it for parents and for coaches. Because, I mean, I don't know how much you guys are seeing right now, but like still that old school coaching mentality. Like I, I would much rather have the feedback like you were just saying, Lou, um, from a coach. Like if I'm not playing well, I want a coach to look me in the eye and be like, hey, you're you're. you're you're not good today. Like you're trying to do too much. You're trying to do this and it doesn't need to be like yelling at me. Just tell me. And I'll be like, you know what? Yeah. All right. I'm gonna look in the mirror. You're right. I got to change instead of playing like mind games. There's still coaches out there that are trying to play mind games and yeah, to a point. Okay. Those will work. But like, I'd so much rather as a player and as a coach to just look another human in the eye and say, you're not doing this. This is what I expect out of you. This is what I need. Just tell me that as a, as a, human as a, a husband a boyfriend as a hockey player as a somebody who owns his own business tell me what i need to do and i will go and do it but if you try and play mind games with me now i'm guessing now i'm like Ugh. i don't know how you guys feel about that but i think coaching needs to go more into that that arena versus that like military and and mind games and all that kind of stuff yeah communication i i, I agree I, I i do and, and as you do it as a coach you're supposed to assess your players right Start to figure, and I don't care the age of them, right? Isn't it your job to figure out who needs more clear of a message, who yeah. needs to be told, who who you think can figure it out for themselves a little bit, and who needs to be told exactly this is shit, this needs to be better. Massive. Yeah, it's just the honest feedback. You ask any high level athlete what they're looking for in a coach. It's just I want somebody that's going to be honest with me and tell me like it is. You know, like that's you, every interview I've ever read or heard or seen from high level people. It's just, I need, like, I want to know where I stand for the good or the bad. So for all the players that are listening to this right now, especially the younger kids, I think it's an important point to talk to them about this too, because like when a coach is giving you honest feedback, even if it's negative and it's constructive criticism, that is very, very good. And the elite players, there's that word again, Louis, the elite players oh, yeah. at the top of the, that's what they want. That's what they crave. Like listen to Sidney Crosby do an interview and hear him talk about the Mike Sullivan's in the world and the people that have been mentors for him. It's all been honest feedback for the good and the bad because you need, you do, you need both, but it's got to be honest honest. So the mind game stuff that you're talking about, Vex, I think that's, you know, hopefully uh, something of the past. And I think that's being, being washed out of the game, but I don't think that old school mentality of telling it like it is, I think that needs to, that needs to stay and that needs to stay forever. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just how you wrap it. It's how you wrap it. And that goes to what Louie just said. And it's everything that I've been saying since my first year in juniors, you as a coach, your job should be, all right, there's three of us on this call. All right. Topher is a little more sensitive than Jeffrey. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, we'll say I'm to- <laughs> Topher's thicker skinned. So I can, I can scream at Tof and I know that'll get the most out of him. Jeff, he's a sensitive. He's going to need a little bit more, you know, uh, tug in a lead, a little more tire pumping throughout my message of what I want on him. Louie's kind of in yeah. the middle. I can kind of be mean, not me. You know, I can kind of be a little bit harsher and I maybe a, a half a tire pump. And then that gets the most out of him. Coaches need to find out what way gets the most out of each player and then wrap their, their coaching and, and their instruction, um, individualized to whatever player you're talking to. 
I think it might take a little bit. It might take a little bit more work with the younger levels, right? Because yes. these are kids we're talking about. It's going to take more work. That's why you you know you put individuals that you think can handle that, and you you think are sensitive to the needs of those players at the younger levels, right? A lot of these organizations, I think we 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 uh, top load our assets, right? Instead of putting mm-hmm. right, what's important, it's the young kids wanting to come back and play the game, right? Wanting to come back and, and achieve the goal of playing at the next level, right? That might be even playing just peewee AAA. Maybe I want to get there, right? So, so let's put some assets, some really good minds at the lower levels that have this ability, right? And that's for, for organizations to figure out who do you put where, but it's, it's, it's a little bit harder with the younger kids. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let me ask you this, Louie, because from being in the college business for a while, I've gotten the chance to to speak to Bobby Daniels on on numerous different occasions, and he's one of the most respected guys in college hockey, what he's done at Ferris State for for all those years. He's probably been there 100 years now. Um, What was it like? I think it's 150. (laughs) Yeah. What what was it like playing for Coach Daniels? Because, you know, I've heard nothing but unbelievable things from, you know, the guys who have played for him all the way to the college coaches that we compete against him as well. Yeah, I guess the easiest thing, or I should say easiest way for me to put it is it, it was an honest approach is what it was, right? You, you could spin it every which way. If you weren't getting the play time, you could, you could spin it as to, well, this wasn't whatever it was. But if you weren't playing, you weren't doing it, right? You, you didn't deserve it. It's as simple as that. And his message was pretty clear. Um, they wanted you to work hard. They wanted you to, to, to play the right way. And you get your minutes from there. I think uh, um, you know people think about college hockey players are you know 19 to 23 years old. These kids, but there's a lot of maturing that goes on there. And I'll be the first to say, <laughs> uh, you know, it yeah. took me a while to, to to really get myself in order. And it, uh, it and it shows, right? You can't go and slack off, and that that's one of the benefits of playing there. It's a demanding time, and and Bob and his staff. It was just honest. It was it was what it was. There was no uh, murky area. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's got, I mean, the respect that he has from the coaching community. And I think that means a lot because especially the way the college is nowadays, um, just with like recruiting and it's just the culture of it isn't great. So when people talk about, you hear people talk about BD and the way that they do, like it's it's integrity, it's just all the stuff that just honesty and and the stuff that you know is unbelievable and what you want to value as a coach. So a little bit of a PSA for for Fair State here, eh? What do you think? Yeah, and I know they're 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 struggling a little bit right now. They've had a few years downturn, but there was a good chunk of time where they were uh, they were threatening for the, the the tournament every year there for a bit. And and college hockey, the parity is insane, and it's. Uh, Again, we talk about the, the cyclical nature of different things. You're going to have teams kind of creep up, and then they're going to go through some lulls. And you know, you want it that way. You don't want every every year the same club to be to be uh, at the top. Yeah, freaking A, they beat us in the Elite Eight to get to the NCAA or to get to the Final Four. My uh, first year back as a coach, so the Bulldogs, not great memories playing against the Bulldogs. And I think there's a memory that you might have, <laughs> uh, Jeff, playing against the Bulldogs in playoffs or something like that. What 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 was it? What happened? What Were you in the trust happen, tree yeah. with the nest? Yeah, Louis' team, Ferris State, ended my college hockey career. Not happy about it. We went in and got absolutely spanked. And I played terrible, <laughs> terrible <laughs> in that series. I had three NHL teams coming to watch me, and two of them didn't want to sign me after that series. <laughs> <laughs> so luckily, one of them, uh, one of them still did. <laughs> 
It's a tough barn to play in. It is. Honestly, Ferris State always plays a super fast-paced game, tons of energy. Like, I totally know why you played there and why you succeeded there. Um, they, they were always fun, like, oh, so fast-paced. They were always Yeah, good. it feels like a small surface, you know, the, the, the way the stands are. It feels yep. like you got nowhere to go. And, um, yeah, there's good energy there especially against Western because he had the little 131 rivalry. So they obviously, you know, the fans come out for the Western games, but I actually found a way to find the back of the net in that game that, that we eliminated you, which didn't happen very often. Hey, <laughs> well, my, my best memory from, from playing in Ferris state is our starting goalie. My freshman year was a sophomore named Daniel Bellissimo and the student section at Ferris state. I don't know if you ever played there Toph, They sit right behind the yeah, opposing yeah. Yeah, coach the there when I was at Miami. Yeah. All right. So, um, they went on Facebook when Facebook was just starting to be a thing. It was probably only around for like three years at the time. They found our starting goalie's girlfriend blew a huge picture up with her and another guy <laughs> and they were like chirping our goalie the whole time. Like this is your girlfriend. And she was with another guy and they were just chirping him the whole game. It was one of the best, um, student sections I'd seen in a, in a, in a single game ever that, that night at Ferris. That was pretty fun. How, how did he play? How'd the goalie play? I, I honestly don't remember, but like we had, we battled with Ferris. Like we probably over the three years I played college hockey. I don't know. Let's say we played them 12 times. I'd say they probably beat us eight, eight times and we beat them four or like seven and uh, 12 minus seven equals five, maybe seven and five. I don't know. Like they, they got the better of us. They were hard to play against because of yeah, it was tight. I feel like every other year, I feel like it was every other, at least while I was there. You know, we, we had the edge one year and we didn't have it the next year. And um, speaking of student sections, though, obviously the lunatics in Lawson were, were one of the best. And I think that they've been rated one of the best across the country. Yeah, that's if anybody's ever if anybody's ever in Kalamazoo, Michigan, around that area during a Western Michigan hockey game, I definitely suggest going. Maybe if your kids aren't too young, though, you wouldn't want to go. The students there have unbelievable chance. And that was some of the best three years of my life for sure. So I, I, my first year, my first year, freshman year, my first game at Lawson, and this is for, for Bob being honest as well. Uh, this speaks to it. Um, one of our seniors, uh, Zach Pearson got a five in a game, got kicked out. So someone needed to serve his five and I got a tap and Bob said, go serve it. And in my head, I'm going, well, wait a second. You know, one of the only reasons I'm in the lineup is because I kill penalties and I'm one of the two units. So I'm skating across the ice. I get crucified in that penalty box by Lawson. I'm like, where am I? Why? Why? I made the mistake of taking my helmet off, and I had a little bit of balding going on there. It wasn't fun. And I'm sitting here going, I'm not even supposed to be in here. So when I got back to the bench, Bob did have the the it in him to say, I don't know why I did that. That was a mistake. You were supposed to be PK. I go, well, thank you. So that was a fun five minutes, but maybe next time I can just kill the penalty. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so funny. I love that. Well, Lou, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. It was great catching up for sure. You were uh, an absolute warrior as a player and an unreal teammate and also very skilled. So may, I want to make sure I throw that in there as well since, uh, since oh, you barked me a little bit earlier. But, uh, <laughs> well, he gave me crap earlier, so I, I, I had to, you know, you know, you, like you, every podcast, you're like, oh, I'm terrible at hockey. Blah. 
It's like, yeah, okay, you signed an NHL deal, douche. <laughs> but anyway, but uh, yeah, you're an awesome teammate, man. We really appreciate you coming on and uh, keep uh, keep making a difference in the hockey world out in Chicago and beyond, man. And uh, if there's anything we can do to help you out, certainly let us know. Absolutely. Just I, I respect the hell out of what you both have going on. Tell shoot me over that uh, guidebook you're looking at. And um, uh, I love this. I appreciate you having me at any time. All right. Good stuff. Take care, man. All right.